0: Hey guys, Ballistic Strength Radio is the only podcast dedicated to kettlebell sport and is 100% commercial free and is brought to you completely free of charge. So if you appreciate the show, please show your appreciation by subscribing to the Ballistic Strength Radio podcast on iTunes, as well as leaving a positive comment and a five-star rating. Guys, five-star ratings not only boost the show's iTunes ranking, but they also boost its exposure, which means it boosts the exposure and popularity of kettlebell sport. Please pause the episode now and head on over to iTunes to leave some positive feedback. Thanks, guys. Ranking systems In kettlebell sport, we have a ranking system. Not quite like the military, and you won't see a rank 3 fetching coffee for a master of sport. No, it's more like martial arts. Our master of sport rank is a lot like a black belt, but without the ability to single-handedly subdue a room full of would-be assassins. Of course, much like black belts, there are many masters of sport. In fact, I've read estimates as high as 350,000 black belts working in the U.S. today. Then again, the World Registry of Black Belts, a website who attempts to tease out the pay-for black belts, lists just over 400 names across North and South Americas. So keep that in mind. There are many with the rank, but fighters are also ranked against each other most mma sites host or produce their own pound for pound best fighter lists many of which listing who they believe to be the top 10 fighters in the world but like mcleod would say there can be only one in kettlebell sport we all have equal opportunity to achieve rank without resistance but to be a champion you have to dig a bit deeper and go head to head with your peers Or perhaps your former idols. It's true, achieving rank can be a very intrinsic process, a way of measuring personal progress, but at every rung of the ladder you also have the opportunity to make your mark, to stand out amongst the other rank and filers. Sure, you can hold the rank, but can you beat everybody else in the division? You may look at that proposition as being motivated more by status than personal progress. But could chasing rank ultimately be holding you back? It might be. The following is an excerpt from episode 3 of the Ballistic Strength Podcast. My rule of thumb is if I can do, say, 200 snatch with the 16 kg, I should be in a good spot to compete with the 20. Do you do any of you have kind of like a rule of thumb like that that you kind of use, like a little guideline?
1: No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, maybe not from a competition standpoint, but uh, in terms of I, I certainly have in my own head numbers that that I want to hit, I mean, that was actually, you know, I've made this statement a few times, and and my biggest problem with having a bell for each rank is everybody stops using the bell as soon as they hit the rank, but uh, I mean, one of the things that, like, I love the idea of trying to go for, you know, instead of just going for, rank number with the 24 to make rank one, you know, and and I can hit CMS in, 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 in the old tables and some of the other groups that are out there um, I like to be able to do that I mean, I want to, if I can do you know, whatever, 140 jerks with the 24s, I'm going to be in a better place under the 28s, under the 32s than if I just try to go well, I just hit 80 jerks with the 24s, now let's try and, you know, chip away at the 28s and do the same thing with the 32s. You know, there are things that you learn when you move faster. There are things, you know, so, so having that number, you know, like you said, 200 snatches. I mean, there are things that your body goes through and you have to move better when you're moving faster. You know, obviously you can move fast and not be doing quality, But if you're, if you're being honest with yourself and you're moving fast and you're moving with quality then yeah, you're going to be confident, you should be confident knowing when you pick up that next bell weight, okay, you're, you don't maybe know exactly what you're going to hit, but you know, you're going to be able to be there. You know, you'll be there at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I certainly have benchmarks that I have for myself, benchmarks that I encourage with other people, um, you know, lifters that I work with, or I'm just in kind of close conversation with, um, I think it's important to have that and, and not just be rank chasers the whole time.
0: The topic that we'll be talking about today is, and, and to quote you from a pre- previous uh, episode, chasing rank. And so I guess what would be the best thing to do right now is actually to ask you Um, specifically what you meant by the phrase
2: chasing rank you can kind of look at it from a a number of perspectives you can look at it um in say like a positive way and say well you know a a lifter who is kind of focusing on those ranks and is going after you know a particular number and then is moving on to the next one And and i mean i think it is a positive thing and I think for a lot of us, at the very least, it's maybe not what kept us in the sport, but it is what maybe got us kind of partially hooked to the sport. Because that's a big part of what it was for me when I first started, you know, the the idea of kind of getting that that rank three, that rank two, rank one. And, yeah, I mean, I'll admit my first, you know, my first ranks, a number of those were done you know by videos sent into the WKC back in the day right when you when you had to have a certain rank in order to compete with the bell weight up so I think there was there's that part of it and then there's this other part of it which is kind of more from that perspective of I don't know if I want to say negative but maybe it has a little bit more of a touch of cynicism to it is it's is it's just kind of a, a lifter hits a number and regardless of how they hit that number there it's like boom I'm done with the 24s time for the next one and and so on and so forth so i think it has a tendency to hold lifters back when you just focus on those ranks especially and i think i've mentioned this if not on on these chats but on in other conversations is you know, with these different rank tables, A, you have varying standards, but B you've also got um, a different a differing structure between them. You know, you have a table like the Ket Academy, which has a a, a slightly lower standard, but also allows for a lifter to make various ranks using various kettlebells. Um, and I think that that actually has, you know, I personally feel like that has some positive aspects to it.
0: You you mean it, that they can make uh, the same rank, like say for example CMS with different bells?
2: You bet. Yeah, like you can make rank one with the 24. You can rank rank CMS with the 24. You can make CMS with the the 24, 28, and 32. You can. I'm not entirely sold on the making master of sport. With anything other than the 32, but that's you know, that's neither here nor there. It's certainly not an easy number to make with the 28. Um, yeah, versus some of the like the old WKC table, and now what the AKA and uh, CKA has gone to, which are ranks based. So you would make you know, rank one is made with said kettlebell, rank two or rank CMS is made with for men is made with the twenty eight. Master of sport is made with the thirty two.
0: There aren't multiple ranks for each bell.
2: There's just one rank for each bell. Exactly, yeah. And uh, where I think that becomes troublesome is not by and large by the competitive kettlebell sport lifter. I think that's it's it's more of a I don't know if isolated is the right word, but it's more, you know, just certain lifters kinda get stuck on those ranks because Everybody knows that if you want to make progress, you can't just go after those ranks. I mean, in competition, maybe that's true, but in training, you know, you're going to be working, if you want to be as good as you can be, you have to be, you know, progressing through and and developing techniques yeah. um, at lighter kettlebell weight.
0: Yeah, personal progress is, isn't a fixed value on a data chart. If you really want to progress, you have to be gauging it off your own personal Um, Performance
2: yeah for sure and you know Whether or not and and I think this is where you know You can kind of look at this from a number of things like with these these Records and everything is you know whether or not a lifter has competed at 24 kilos You can assume or maybe maybe assume is the wrong word. I, I I I Let me digress we can presume that a lifter who is making master of sport rank numbers, um, at, you know, let's say a male lifter who's making master of sport long cycle, is blowing the twenty four kilo the the amateur rank the rank one and the rank CMS numbers, pretty pretty comfortably out of the water. You know what I mean? Like that's what we would presume.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm not seeing that in the as the case all the time. Now. That's not really at master sport, but I see a lot of guys lifting 32s who are only just hitting, you know, rank one numbers, and maybe haven't even hit CMS numbers. So I think I, I personally feel like there's there are technique uh, pro, there's technique progress being left behind by moving up too fast.
0: Okay. Um, maybe we should backtrack a little bit and sure. talk a little bit about, or I should perhaps go over where the ranks kind of came from. Yeah, um, and they're not specific to kettlebell sport, and this is where people might scratch their head and go, "Oh, really?" Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm just ripping this straight from Wikipedia. So, as the 1970s, there were there were ranks for athletes of the USSR. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the following descending, uh, in, in evolving descending order, merited master of sport of the USSR, or sometimes called honored master of sport in the USSR, or yeah. for the sake of this discussion, we'll just say honored master of sport. We'll lead the USSR thing out of it because it's antiquated anyway. Yeah. Um, and th- and those are distinctions that we use in kettlebell sport. But uh, the the distinction uh, across the ranks here for honored master of sport is basically an international champion, one. Yeah. Who has made valuable contributions to the sport, what those may be, um, I can't really comment on. So the next one down would be Master of Sport, um, International Class, which I'm sure some of us have heard of, and that basically means International Champion. The next one down, Master of Sport, and that's that's you know the, the, the main kind of, um, I don't know, the, the main rung that I guess everyone eventually aspires to get, and that basically means National Champion. Uh, then, of course, Candidate of Master of Sport n- is nationally ranked. And then there's the tiers below that, which are basically divided into regional, state, and city champions. Yeah. So this is based on an old Soviet system. Um, and a lot of the states in the USSR at the time used a derivation of it. And they still use a derivation of it today, uh, many mm-hmm. of them, including the Ukraine. They have their own uh, sports system that they have. Uh, so back in like somewhere around 1985, when they had the first official uh, gearvoy championship in the USSR, uh, that's they did introduce the Master of Sport ranking to kettlebell sport at that time. Um, so we kind of went through all, the, all, well, all the different ranks as far as the generalized sports system goes. But like you mentioned, there are different rankings for the different organizations, and unlike. In the USSR when it was first introduced that's a government instituted ranking system whereas in yeah. North America it's almost symbolic in nature because I mean let's be frank uh, kettlebell sport isn't really a recognized sport by any sort of government system or sporting system in North America
1: mm-hmm
0: yes I mean we'll just go ahead and say that yeah um, and so really ranks are awarded by private organizations
1: yeah
2: right so Yeah, I mean you know whether you uh, uh, on some level absolutely yeah you, know, you can look at the aka and the CKA and say well they're they're this they're that they're not private organizations but I mean right yeah for sure
0: um, and so I mean some of the differences that do exist the IKFF does have multiple ranks for each bell like we kind of talked about yeah um, the RGSI, the the was that one stand for Russian Gear Voice Sport Institute? Yeah. Their reps don't actually change across ranks. Um, yeah, they
2: use a weight, right? A yeah.
0: Something I don't know. Something. like that. I think yeah. it's going to be beyond. Some things are going to be beyond the scope of this conversation. For sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like we talked about, the IUKL reps don't change across ranks, and and thus, uh, in other words, uh, the bells. Oh. There are there are a specific, um, you know, each bell has its own rank. Yes. Until you kind of you hit international class, most of the time the, uh, there is at least one uh, w- women's event that it is actually the same the number of reps when you go from master of sport to international class. It's just the bell weight changes. Yeah. But f- for uh, yeah, most of the time the the reps actually do change when you go to international class. And then for the IKSFA, which when I did my first competition with Gatsu uh, in Toronto back in 2012, yeah. they were using a joint system with the IKSFa, and they have multiple ranks for each bell. So, depending on how many reps you get, say if I was lifting the, uh, so I was lifting the 16s at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, you could get rank one, rank two, or rank three with the 16s.
2: Yes, yes, they had actually like, yeah, like they had kind of a almost like a tiered system amongst their, their rank table. Like you could hit, like you say, rank 1 with the 16, rank 1 with the 20, rank 1 with the 24 kind of thing, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And and that was a neat kind of way to think of it. But, yeah. I mean, now, again, going back a little bit, uh, in terms of measuring your own personal progress, I mean, I would probably say that in the beginning when you're starting out, ranks are kind of a good way to... Good, if you're not doing your own programming at the start, which I, I'm I'm going to assume that a, a lot of amateurs don't, especially if they're independent and they don't have coaches, they're kind of yep. using the ranking system to gauge their own progress. Yes. But, I mean, for someone like you who's, who's, and I, and I don't know uh, if you program at all even, but I assume that you do, um, I mean, I would think that you measure your own personal progress by, uh, or sorry, measure your progress not by the ranks, but you know how how your own individual progress is is coming and you shoot for your own specific uh, internal goals.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, like it's you know for for myself uh, absolutely going up it was it was ranks it was moving progressing through that and those numbers you know gave me that guideline because I knew, you know, okay, well if the rank number was whatever is 68 then The RPM is seven reps a minute, so there we have to try to develop seven reps a minute. And then it was, okay, well, let's progress that. Now let's try for eight reps a minute, and then we're going to start introducing the bell weight higher. Um, You know, I fairly early on, I had a lot of good influence from uh, people like uh, Steve from the Ice Chamber, Chris Duffy, you know, um, giving me... You know just that that little bit of kind of influence and uh, the the voice in the ear and I kind of set these guides for myself that you know a bell I wasn't done with a particular kettlebell weight until I had hit a particular number with that weight so early on while I was going for ranks and competitions um, I sort of had stopped using those you know fairly or early on Um, I stopped using those ranks as my guide because you know I had different things that I was sort of striving towards Um, because I knew that and you start to learn that being able to to move at a particular pace under particular kettlebell weight has more there's more to learn lifting at, at a pace necessarily than lifting. You know, very slowly, you don't get away with as much. You know, there, there are these little things that you can fine-tune qualitatively instead of just simply that quantitative numbers, right?
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think about... Okay, so so maintaining the speed and pace is important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So then we when we look at some of these ranking tables and we see that... Um, and, and this is going to be kind of tricky because, again uh systems that we use that you and I use most of the time like IUKL, where we have a fis- fixed rep system for the most mm-hmm. part um and then comparing it to something like the Ket Academy where the reps aren't fixed yeah uh, it's going to get kind of tricky here but so if we look at something like uh okay even the IKFF table um if you're looking at CMS uh snatch for women 24 they have a cms for 24 kilo and they have a cms for 20 kilo yeah but when you look at the change in reps the reps drop 50 percent from 20 to 24 is mm-hmm. that is that problematic
1: yes i
2: think it is in though in in that kind of a context and the reason why i say that is because there's a big difference. Now, I mean, I'm not totally familiar. I haven't looked at their rank table in quite a while. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think what, what we start to learn is we can do a lot of things for, you know, let's say uh, five to six minutes. You know, there's a lot, there are a lot of kettlebell athletes out there who, whether it be men on the 32-kilo, and women on the 24 kilo, maybe a lot is is an exaggeration, but I don't think it's that big uh, of an exaggeration. There's a lot of men who can snatch the the 32 kilo for 100 reps in six minutes. I mean, there there are right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a good chunk of women who can snatch the the 24 kilo for you know, I mean, anywhere from 80 to 100 reps in you know in six minutes. And if you look at just that simple number and you go like, well, under a lot of rank tables, or probably I would guess to say most rank tables, depending on weight class, that's going to be your CMS number, right? Versus that lifter trying to hit that same number with the 20 kilo. Now that lifter has to do 10 minutes. And I think we all know the difference between, you know, five or six minutes and 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, I know the difference. I, I, you want to ask me if I want to do 20 reps a minute for 6 minutes on the 32 or 14 reps a minute for 10 minutes? You know, most often than not, I'm going to take the 6-minute set. I'll be honest with you. Just, just you know, try and blast though, through it and, and get yeah. it done and over and with, I mean, right? Because, you know, it, you, don't, you just don't, you don't get into the where it really hurts, for lack of a better term. Well, you can also
0: put yourself on autopilot, basically, and just go for it.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, when you only have to be desperate for maybe the last 30 seconds of a three-minute set, well, that's not really, that doesn't really challenge you, right? Mm -hmm. So I I firmly agree that. Now, that being said, the other side of that, um, so I, it's just that I don't think it requires the same level of Technique mastery to do something fast for a short period. There are certainly benefits, and, and it's not to say that any lifter who's got CMS with a 24 in that compressed time because they were able to isn't um, legitimately there. It's just to say that you could, it, it's not, I don't think it challenges you as much. That same token says, I don't think that there's the same comparison. Somebody who's got to hit a big number to make Master of Sport, right? So you look at Master of Sport with the 24 versus the 20. I don't think those two things are the same either, in my personal opinion.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Take that for what it's worth.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and and there's, at least from my point of view, um, especially if you're not super focused on your technique, you can get away for so long up to a certain point where you just yeah. get to a weight where if you don't have the technique, you, you just can't make it happen. For sure. Right? You, you know, so, so, and depending on, on how big guys are, I mean, if you're in a 105 plus weight class, you could get away doing 20s, even 24s kind of sloppily yeah. if you're in a 105 plus. But you know, once you pick up those 32s, that's a oh, bit yeah. of a different ball game. And I think that you bring up a really good point. Um, and I've never really thought about this before, but um, with the consistent uh, rep scheme that we have with like the IUKL, it really does necessitate doing a full 10 minutes because, you know, if you work up to a point where you're either doing rank or you're working above rank, you're probably working closer to 10 minutes, right? Anywhere between 8 to 10 minutes. So if rank for me for Snatch... Um, at my weight class, which is um, generally 78 most of the time, it's like 130, but but I'll often work 150 plus in my, in my snatch reps. Yeah. So and that's taking me. Um, I, I'm I'm never gonna usually gonna be able to do that in less than eight minutes. I'm in competition. I'm always you know I'm always getting those numbers above eight minutes. So when you're getting close to the eight to ten minute mark, where it's just it starts to get really grueling. Um, I mean, if you are moving up in bell weight to keep those reps the same? Yeah, you do have to probably be maintaining an 8 to 10 rep you know zone. You can't just So, it, do you think that that makes you a better lifter overall then?
2: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's just a it just comes back to that if you know, I I mean, I personally again, I bring it a lot back to myself. Um, you know, I have, I've made master sport, but to say that me personally, say thirty-two kilo snatch, I haven't even come close to mastering that that weight yet. You know, because mm-hmm. in order for me to last ten minutes with it, I pretty much have to just grind my tempo right down. So. I can I could do 140 reps or 145 snatches, but I do it in, you know, between eight and a half and nine minutes. I don't. So for me, I'm not there yet with it. Um, and and it's the same thing with the, with some of the women, right? There's a there's a number of women who are making great progress with the 24, and and it's the difference in competition between when you can step on the platform and know that you are there for that particular, Hey, I'm golden. Nine minutes is in the bag. 10 minutes is just gravy on top or, you know, the cherry on top, I should say. Right. Right. Um, but if you step on the platform and you go, you know, I know I'm good for six minutes and Hey, maybe those last two minutes each hand are going to go well, you're, you know, you're kind of in, you know, you're, you're up in the air, right? A bad day, and all of a sudden, what was a 120 rep goal number is now a, an 85 rep set down because, you know, whatever it was, the bell didn't feel right. You had this little panic. You blah, whatever, anything that can come up in a set. So I, I think with those numbers, yeah, like there's a there is that development of consistency and that forcing you to develop a an actual. Um the technique needed to be able to last for that that set rep that set amount of time because you'll that know, it's like I' say if you step onto the platform, knowing that ten minutes is in the bag, the reps will be there mm-hmm. if you step onto the platform, knowing that well I've done the reps before then it's up in the air because all it takes is one bad thing, you know, and, and you're going to set down because you probably already set down early anyways. Right?
0: Yeah. So if we just all shoot for rank, we're going to have a lot of uh mediocre
2: competitions is what you're saying. <laughs> I think that we'll start, I mean, I do think that, yeah, we start to see a lot of, you know, just a, a kind of a, a plateau in, in development. Right. Um, so it's that it's that desire to want to move up to the next one move up to the next one instead of really just instead of getting really good you know being just a really good lifter yeah and then the progress will will be there
0: and um, and like you said i i mean so your snatch right now
2: are, do you normally sit at about what 120 um, no I, I mean i'm i'm generally you know, on a on a head into it, but even on a bad day, I should be one hundred and thirty. Okay. If I put it down before that, that's me pulling the shoot. Let's be entirely serious. So, so,
0: now is rank for you what one hundred
2: and thirty four? I honestly am not sure what the snatch only rank is. I kind of just base off of the biathlon. So, if you know, I always think if I do eighty jerks, then I have to do. 130 snatch ah. I, yeah 145 so I think of that's my that's my number anything under uh, a 65 each hand in my purview for myself is is not a, uh, a positive snatch set
0: with a 32 yes um, I do have the table up right now you're in the 85 class aren't you yeah yeah so rank is 132 to get MS with the 32 okay. Um, so if you're sitting around, so you normally, you essentially sit around rank in terms of your ability to snatch the 32. Now, coming, coming back to this whole idea of is rank a worthy goal to kind of shoot for? And if we see that in some tables, the next rank is essentially half the reps of the rank Mm -hmm. previous or the bell previous, I mean, I look at your, I remember your set from, or your sets from uh, Seattle, uh, and, mm-hmm. and you lifted the 24s that day, and yeah. you did over 200 reps with the 24, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so, if you're, if you can do over 200 reps with the uh, 24, and when you go up to the 32, you're essentially just making rank,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So obviously, you're blowing rank out of the water with the 24, but when you move up, you're just making rank. So I think that kind of supports the notion that if you're just getting rank with the bell previous, moving up and shooting for that rank might not be wholly realistic.
2: Oh, absolutely, oh, absolutely 100%. I mean, this, and this is where, you know, we kind of revert back to when I... The, the glory days my first competition i did you know and this isn't snatch right this is this is biathlon i'm talking so okay. and this is partly where you know you have to i am i have a tendency to focus more on jerks because i think that's where the you know my personal feeling is that's where the money's at that's where if you want to be a good lifter for as a male jerks are really in biathlon, I think that's where you're actually going to kind of. Rep, gonna for, make rep for rep, that's where you're going to make up the most ground. Yeah, but and I also think you know let's let's look at it from a from a perspective of if I'm going to lift off beside a Russian, um, or beside a, you know anybody, but you know if I think of it lifting off against the best in the world, mm-hmm. I, there isn't that huge that big of a gap when you look at you know maybe not the top top level but like a tier down because
0: um, top, le- top level we're talking like guys
2: can hit 170 jerks well that that's what i mean so so when yeah. i look at you know when i look at myself standing on the platform you know again you look at a guy like anton anasenko same weight class as me yes he goes over 200 absolutely that's, that's a pretty big gap but you know you look at one step down there's lots of Russians who are master of sport international class, you know, by the rank table um, and, and Ukrainians and Kazakhstan lifters um, that are hitting those kind of the numbers. But they're not doing 200 snatches. They're doing, you know, once, you know, 150, 160, that kind of thing. But where, you know, when you stand on the platform and a guy does 180 jer- or 140 jerks and you're doing 80, 82 but your snatch isn't really that much different. It's kind of like, well, I mean, I put more more uh, salt in that, in that jerk number, so I, I haven't probably spent the time like I should progress, progressing a snatch. So, but as to go back to what you were saying, absolutely, like you, you do, that, you do that, that number with the bell below, or two bells, really, if you think of the 24 by you know, the AKA table, who uses twenty-eight? Um, yeah, that's to to expect to go out there and and be anywhere even close to a number like that. I mean, again, you probably won't even last. You won't last for more than two and a half minutes per hand, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. You know, just because it just taxes you in a completely different way. It's not even. You know, I, I Valeri used to say uh, with the WKC. He used to say when you move up in a kettlebell weight, it's like you're doing a totally different sport. You know, it it taxes your body in a different way. I mean, you can't compare. You know, again going back to biathlon, you can't compare jerks with the twenty fours to jerks with the with the thirty twos when you're in that developing progress because it's one is just so much more you know speed and you know quickness balance and and then you look at the 32s which is like this grinding you know until you develop but when you're in that developing stage you get under the 32s and those things feel like you know they just don't want to go up Mm -hmm. so you're not going to do you're not going to do 100 jerks with the 24s and then reverse extrapolate that down to doing 50 with the 32s you're probably going to do you know, 20 and then put them down and need to recover, odds are, because it just taxes you so much differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's be realistic. With the 24s, you're putting about 100 pounds over your head with each rep. With yeah. the 32s, you're putting at least 30 pounds more over your head with each rep. Yeah. And, and, and that's going to have an effect across the board on you know your stamina and and all that stuff but also like balance just balance for a lot of people is a big issue when putting weights overhead. Yeah. And if you got to correct your position each time for each rep. I mean that's really going to drain you.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? So much focus goes into it. Um so uh, well, uh, uh one thing I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh not too long ago the the Russian Gear Voice Sport Institute uh released an article um called uh, something like the analysis of sport rank systems where they Mm -hmm. basically and i think it's actually in some of their sport manuals as well but uh they go over some of the different ranking systems including ikff rgsf uh wkc and uh and their own um And so one of the things that they, well, essentially what they did is they put everything on a graph with essentially volume slash intensity on the uh, y-axis and then the ranks on the x-axis and looked at kind of the progression and the relativity in terms of the volume and intensity from rank to rank. Mm-hmm. So when we look at it, some of the systems have a bit of a, they have some dips, they have some peaks and valleys, they, some yeah. jump around a little bit. Um, universally, for the most part, from CMS on, they all increase exponentially, except mm-hmm. for the WKC. And the WKC is kind of the, 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 the black sheep in that its progression is strictly linear. Mm-hmm. And it goes up at like a one-to-one ratio. And so one of the things that I notice is when we look at the traditional strength model, and this is an important distinction, when we look at the traditional strength model um, in terms of um, progression of an athlete, and their ability to produce force and et cetera, et cetera. It, it, your progress, when you begin working out, generally speaking, your progress uh, is dramatic at the start, and then it eventually levels off as you hit your elite levels. Yeah. When we look at the ranking tables, especially when we look at CMS on and there's an exponential increase in ability, it's compl- it, it couldn't be more opposite than the traditional model for how an athlete, athlete progresses. And I want to ask you, and Mike Sherman brought this up. Now when we look at like, guys like Denisov and Anasenko, um, sure, they're strong. We get that. They're lifting 32s. In the case of Denisov, though he's a big guy, um, he's done 10-minute sets with the 40s. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But the thing is, yeah, their strength is good, but their cardio is through the roof. Yeah. So when we compare these these uh models of performance, the strength versus the Gearvoy um the ranking tables and I don't think I'm really um breaking new ground here, but is that difference that 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 complete opposing uh look at the graph, is that cardio?
2: Well, I think that's a I mean that that absolutely I, I mean i would say cardio if we were going to be maybe a little bit more um if we we're going to play the semantics game i would call it work capacity okay you know and, and that's why i say like i think cardio is a person's ability to hop on a bike or go for a run and uh i don't look at i i look at it like i say from a work capacity standpoint so let's say you know if we look at the things that because you know it's neat Denisov was sort of a neat little experiment there for a while where he was posting all his like rowing times and he was doing marathons and all these things well nobody goes well geez Denisov did a marathon and wow he ran it in well he didn't run his marathon in two and a half hours so nobody's going well geez you know the guy's got world-class level running capacity okay well we can kind of look at that and go, well, yeah, but he's also two hundred and thirty pounds, and
0: and and it. just like any other sport, running can be a specialized sport, and if you haven't done it exclusively, you're not going to
2: be the best at it. No, for sure. Um, and, but then you know you can look at like his rowing times, and I would I wouldn't look at his his five hundred meter rowing time. I wouldn't look at his two k rowing time, because I don't think six minutes adequately. Or you know because basically it's six minutes I don't think that's adequately testing a guy who is that big and strong you look at his times that he can do like his and, I, and I'm using this as a reasonable substitute uh, is his like 10k rowing times I mean that is work capacity you know that is your ability to to deal with you know that buildup of acid in the muscle it's your ability to produce that requisite amount of force to get the job done but also to not use any excess and I think that's where that's where it's different those guys do not like when they when Denisov does 160 to 175 or 76 jerks it's not that Denisov has you know the I don't know what his VO2 max is. I don't know what these guys' VO2 max numbers are, right? I don't know those things. But it's their ability to just repetitively produce that requisite amount of force over and over and over again and not have waste, you know, and wasted yeah. effort. That's what separates those guys. Of course, Denisov is a strong man, you know. I. You know, we've seen him... You know, not not strength, powerlifting type numbers, but if you can deadlift 600 pounds, you are a strong individual. You know, he can comfortably press repetitively a fairly heavy kettlebell. You know, you look at these things, but there are guys that are stronger than Denisov, I guarantee it, That and have, you know, a reasonable kettlebell technique, but cannot even approach you know half of his numbers you know what I mean Mm -hmm. when you when you look at it from kettlebell so it's that ability to kind of a withstand that level of discomfort but it's also just that ability to produce that amount of force that is required that many times over and over and over again which and that's where I that's why I think of it as like work capacity of course Huge amounts of technique and progress and all that stuff, but it comes back to that all feeds what into, your, into your
0: yeah well, all the technique and experience feeds into your work economy.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean you know if you look at it from a pacing standpoint, you know well there's a lot of guys out there who can do like there and I, and I mean this in all seriousness I mean there's a, plenty of gentlemen out there who can do jerks with 232s and maintain 10 reps a minute up to a certain point. So if you think about that and you go well it's like well sure that's not 17 reps a minute but if I can jerk 232s for 48 reps in 4 minutes. Does that not therefore state that I have the at least the ability to generate that amount of force, that requisite force at that pace for, you know, minute on minute? But what stops me from doing it beyond minute four? That's when, work capacity. When
0: your oxygen, <laughs> when your when your oxygen demand, uh, you know, exceeds your ability to replenish that oxygen.
2: Yeah, you know, and that's and that's work capacity, right? Yeah. That's not oh geez, you know, I just have to get better at lifting. No, that's your ability to withstand that level of fatigue and stress and.
0: From, from what I've seen um, things of a uh, long distance nature a, a, a low intensity steady state nature um, do have the ability to increase your vo2 max but when we look at in high intensity interval training though we're not increasing vo2 max what we're actually doing a lot of the time is increasing your recovery between bouts or sorry not well Increasing your recovery ability, so decreasing the time it takes you to jump back in. So, I and I think rowing is a good example of this because rowing is very similar to kettlebell sport in that you have, I mean, traditionally, yeah, we do it for long periods of time, but each stroke is an, you know, yeah, more or less an intense full-body, um, you know, spurt of energy that yeah. has to be repeated. Over and over, yeah. and more importantly, in a competition format, if you want to stay ahead of the pack, you have to maintain a certain level of intensity. It's not just about working for X period of time. Yeah. So being able to squeeze that that intensity into um, into those you know a certain time frame and being able to maintain that pace is paramount when it comes to. Uh, kettlebell sport—it's not just about doing it for you know X period of time. And when we look at building work capacity, we want to build up you know stroke after stroke. We want to be able to uh, recover stroke after stroke after stroke in order to maintain that pace in order to yep. stay ahead of the pack.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 it, right? You you look at it from that perspective, and I and I do think now everybody has their personal development uh opinions um as to what works best for them you know whether it be cycling whether it be rowing running um but yeah from that perspective you can you can definitely kind of see those those kind of analogs between the two because it's that you know it's that that force production phase of the pull and then it's that recovery phase of the uh you know the return to that the i can't remember what they call it the catch right so it's that the push and the pull back and then it's that return forward and that's like your recovery but it's not whereas say like running it's that continuous repetitive you know development of a you know moderate level of force
0: yeah Um, well and i don't know if this applies to rowing at all really because if we think of it I mean, if I think of it just in terms of sitting on a rower, there's no momentum. There's yeah. no inertia. You have to repeat yeah. each stroke. When you're running, at least from my point of view, um, there's a bit of inertia.
2: Yeah, especially if you're a good runner, <laughs> you know.
0: I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, you want, you're trying to stay light on your feet, you know, a little, mm. bit, a little bit of forward lean, right? Yeah. Let, you know, each you know you're just you're yeah like you say it's inertia is something that you want when running and and that's going to help you out so it's not quite the same as definitely not the same as kettlebell sport where there's there's definitely no inertia yeah that's going to keep you going anyway
2: downward inertia just pushing you into the ground yeah
0: (laughs) okay let's uh let's shift our focus a little bit um, back uh, well a year ago now, uh, mm-hmm. the Ice Chamber um, put out an article called "Ranks, Belts, and Kettlebell Sport." Yep. it was a fairly short article, uh, but it ad- it it addressed the topic pretty um, you know fairly thoroughly from a uh, I don't want to say a philosophical point of view, but an intrinsic point of view, we'll say. And the one thing that I want to talk about from that article article is uh, where you mentioned that there were where Steve mentioned that there were three things to consider. About this whole ranking thing, and the first is discern how the ranking system of the kettlebell sport institution measures up against the most rigorous ranking systems in the world, and we talked about that a bit. Um, and he says at the current time, this would be the Russian Federation and the IOKL that have the 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 most, I guess, um, uh, strict wouldn't be the right word, but uh, you know, I don't know, prestigious ranking system. Yeah. yeah. Second point: when a rank is an expression of institutional promotion. Mm -hmm. Winning is an expression of competitive prowess. Sport is about coming out on top uh, among a select group of your peers. This is a quantitative approach for measuring progress. How well do you stack up against the best in your weight class, the best in the country, the best in the world? Okay. I'll just do on that one a little bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. The third point, self-development. The best best athletes are self-reflective about their goals. Learn from them. Your experiential process is just as important as the end result. In addition to your chosen rank system, set internal standards to hold yourself accountable and use them to determine your own progress. Okay. So is it difficult or impossible to measure progress when chasing rank? And how can you really tell if your technique is improving versus you just getting stronger if you're just following that ranking
2: system? Yeah, and I, I think, again, it, it comes back to, we I uh, my favorite little, my little quip is, I think of when we just focus from that end, and like you said, how can you really tell if you're getting stronger, if you're getting, or if you're getting better, you know, we can, at a certain level, it's like, I, I think of it like juicing an orange, you know? You just get more and more juice, but eventually it's going to start in. It's going to be pulp. You know? You're know, you not getting actual good quality juice or you're not getting good quality reps. And we can juice the heck out of that orange and we think we're getting more out of it. But at a certain point, we're just learning to get that one more rep. We're learning to whatever it is. We're learning to get the bells overhead that that little bit more in those last two minutes when everything has gone to, you know, gone to crap and our technique is falling apart. Um, so I, I do think, though, if you are a a discerning individual who looks at things from a very um, analytical point of view and doesn't just simply get caught up in the numbers, there's absolutely the ability to have that you know, to to have both of those, you know, that qualitative and quantitative progress happening at the same time and not just getting stuck on the numbers, but also, you know, not just sitting there, well, oh, geez, you know, it just doesn't feel perfect. So I'm just going to stick with the 12 kilos for now. And we do see, uh, you know, we see a lot of that, maybe not, say, for men, not with the 12s, but, you know, we see that a lot in uh, some of these, some of the upcoming stuff is, People are just, you know, they're not challenging themselves at that same. Because, well, it's, it is kind of fun to go 10 reps a minute in long cycle. But, you know, it's also... As opposed uh, to... It's fun to challenge yourself, too. It's fun to go 7 reps a minute with the 16s over 11 reps a minute with the 12s. Or, you know, from a male perspective... You know, there's a difference between going out there and, you know, guys doing over 100 long cycle with 16 and uh, who, you know, are doing 30 and 40 with the 24. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know, that the 16s are allowing you to get away with things that the 24 will never allow you to get away with. And same thing goes, you know, up. Right. You know, the 32s won't allow you to get away with things. The, The 24 for the well, the 20s when you look at double bell work, but you know, those heavier kettlebells just don't let you get away with stuff. So mm-hmm. that's where we kind of have to find that balance.
0: From my, um, experience, I find myself right now, I mean, I, okay. Worlds, I did compete with the 24 and biathlon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I closed in on 160 snatch and I did about 50 jerk. Yep. Um, but right now I, now I, you know, I'm a little bit of a uh, uh, unique case from this point of view because I got I got sick on the on the on the the the, the last weekend that we were there, and I've been mm-hmm. trying to get back up to my normal kind of work capacity and uh, and fitness level. But um, but for me right now, I you know we're uh, we're doing these in house meets down in Victoria, and uh, and I'm trying to figure out you know what. Uh, because I always just generally do 24. I mean, that's that's what I lift. You know, yeah. I I guess you could say that you know you identify some lifters with the with with the weights that they lift. You wouldn't imagine Antonin Asenko being a 24 kg lifter. You you uh-huh. these days you just always see him lift 32. So, you know, I I I can hit relatively respectable numbers with the 24s, but. Um, Right now, I find myself wanting more to, to work more with the 20 kgs, actually, and do a lot more work th- with the 20 kg long cycle, because mm-hmm. I feel, especially with the, 20, with the 20 kgs on my long cycle, um, I don't have the same problems overhead as I do with the, tw- with the 24s. I do have mm-hmm. a bit of a shoulder issue on my right side where my uh, rotator cuff does tend to catch a little bit uh, with the 24s. It's just I, uh, something I don't have the integrity there, but with the 20s, I can do it. But it's not as um, oxidative as the 16s where I could do over 10 minutes long cycle. Yeah. And so it's a nice place where it's, it's challenging, but it feels good. hmm Right? And yeah. that's how I want all my sets to be. And do yeah. you think that's a good place to kind of stop and focus on before actually going up to the next weight? Or do you think it's okay to go back and forth maybe?
2: Yes, <laughs> um, you know. I, again, it comes back to where you at in the development progress, where you at in competition prep, and all those things. You know, if we get more specific, of course. But um, absolutely, uh, I I spend lots of time working around. Like I use, I I generally compete with thirty twos. On occasion, like you mentioned in Seattle, I did the twenty fours. But for the most part those are kind of just one-offs that I'll do here and there. But mm-hmm. but I spend plenty of time working. I, I don't have the, the in-between weights, but I have the 24, 28, 32. And I spend plenty of time, you know, possibly more time on the 24s than I do on the 32s. Or at the very least, equal to. And I spend... You know, I'll spend a lot of time with the 28s, um, get it, because, you know, the nice thing about 28s is they feel heavy, but they also feel really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of that in-between. The 24s are just that, they're almost just that little bit too light that my technique can change a little bit Okay. Um, as compared to the 32s. Not, not so much the cleans, but the jerk technique changes a little bit it's a little bouncy Um,
0: bouncy at the top maybe like you overshoot it
2: well no not that so much it's more that it's more just because they're lighter and i just have way more pop going up right whereas with the 32s i know when it comes time to jerk them i need to be bang on point um so and and the lockout has to be fat like a lot faster in terms of like fixating there's no time to to kind of you just can't muck around with them because if you do, you're not. I'm not going to be able to lock them out. I don't have great overhead flexibility, mobility, so if I don't lock out proper, then the bells are crashing down. That
0: comes back to the point of being able to get away with the lighter bells.
2: Yeah, I can hold them overhead with the 24. I can't hold them overhead with 32, like just simply muscling it out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I absolutely think, and again, like I said, I have... I have goals with the 28 that I have not achieved and I have every intention of achieving them, you know, and I have a goal that I have that I want to achieve with a get with the 24. I don't care if I do it in competition because I just there, you know, unless you're doing a thousand competitions a year, it's hard to really be like, oh, well, there's just that want to do, you know, so you do your main kettlebell weight in comp. That's what I do and then the other ones I do for training. So, but I have goals that I have that I want to hit with the 28, that I want to hit with the 24. Um so absolutely a, a person should be, you know, it, spending time and and challenging themselves in different ways because like you said, the 16s, you can it's you know, the 16s at a certain point once you get to there, it's kind of like just going out for an easy jog. You
0: yeah. know. Yeah. Whereas
2: the 20s, it's like nope. This is now. This is work. It's challenging me. I know that it's it's taxing my it's taxing my grit more. It's forcing me to stay on point overhead. Um, but it's not the 24s, which you know, or like I say for me, the 32s. There the 32s might just blow me up on a day. Whereas with the 24s, even on a bad day as long as i'm not just gonna totally drop the ball there's no reason why i shouldn't be able to just rep it out rep it out rep it out you know um and then the 24 or sorry the 20s would be that kind of like i just want to go out and have a nice little jog and just have some fun
0: right fit in a little like light endurance set or something yeah right an off day basically yeah Okay, there's a there's a couple more things I'd like to
2: go over if, now, if you're down. I don't. I don't know if we really addressed Steve's thing. <laughs> uh, so that we it was the uh, the ranks, right? And I and I you know I think, like you had mentioned, and, and I personally feel like you know the coolest thing, was when, at the Ice Chamber 2014, when Anton Anasenko was there, and uh, I remember because Paul White and I were lifting 32s. Um, and after that, you know, Anton came over and he, he said, he's like, that's master of sport in Russia. You know, and that was, that was a really cool thing, right? Because you're not going like, Hey, that's master of sport under a certain particular table. As, it's Steve, like, no, no.
0: as Steve might say, the Mick Dojo.
2: Yeah. You know, no, that's master sport. Boom. Right. Um, and, and just to add a little caveat, I don't. I don't think that there's anything wrong with having these kind of various ranking organizations. But you know, some of the different ones, like I use for an example, the the All Ireland Kettlebell Lifting Federation, they have their own specific table. Um,
0: I've never. Uh, that's interesting. I've never actually even heard or, or seen that.
2: Yeah, and and like I've seen some of their coaches describe or some of their lifters saying, you know, I have achieved this level, this rank, under the All-Ireland Lifting, All-Ireland lift uh, Kettlebell Lifting Federation, this what? rank under their table. So, so with that little denotation, right? Um, so I don't think that there's anything wrong with having those, but I do think if you're going to... If you want to go out there and you want to be speaking across platforms, you can't say, "I'm the I'm Master Sport World Class or International Class with the world's smallest little asterisks that nobody knows what it's actually saying," and then you're trying to compare those across, like I say, across platforms. You know, Melissa Swanson, Master of Sport world class or international class. I can't remember what I think I uses world class, but you know, that's a number. It doesn't matter what rank table. Cause that number that she hit is across platforms that rank, you know what I mean? Right. Um, whereas it's not, whereas some of them kind of have those, well, it's master sport, but you know, it's under this table versus that table. So, I yeah. think...
0: Or it's Master of Sport this bell versus Master of Sport that bell.
2: Yeah, which again has its own little things. Okay. Um, and then there was, you. There, what was the other, there was talking about, was it competition? Um... Winning, so right? Winning? Winning. Uh, yeah.
0: You know, competitive prowess versus an institutional promotion.
2: Yeah. So, my feelings there are kind of mixed. Because you know, I I have a lot of first place medals, and I wish to say that in every single one of those, I actually had to beat somebody.
0: <laughs> and but there I, it is. It, That's the reality you know, of kettlebells in North America.
2: it, it is. You know, um, you know, like I said, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I got some medals there that. I, I did have to be people, you know, yeah. but I, I don't see that, I mean, we all know the oh, I got gold medal in my weight class with my bell weight, you know, but nobody ever says that part,
0: you <laughs> I, know? Well, I mean, we, we're saying it here, and I think yeah. it's a valid point. It's a valid point, and I think if yeah. anyone's going to talk about it, we should talk about it a little bit, yeah. um, and, you know... Just to be frank, no one's going to take away from you your ability. Um, I mean, lifting the numbers that you lift with the thirty twos is pretty damn impressive. Um, Not just for a North American. I mean, they're respectable numbers. Uh, But I I, and and it's true because you know I've seen people elect themselves to lift the thirty two in competition, and I've seen some pretty crazy, dangerous stuff. Right, yeah. people who just shouldn't be lifting those bells, but because they're the only ones who decided, okay, I'm going to lift the 32, they get a gold medal.
2: Yeah, I've seen yeah. that. Yeah, and and that's where, you know, that and just as a little side note, that's one of the things that I kind of like about table, you know, competitions that use the coefficient. Now, where that gets lost is it's way easier to do a big number coefficient-wise with a lighter bell than it is with a heavier bell. So it does balance out, but it, it you know at a certain point. But that said, Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um uh, I mean, I think it's again, it's good to challenge yourself, but if you're just doing it because well, I'm the only guy lifting the thirty twos, so it doesn't matter what and again this comes back to individuals. So we are kind of, you know, getting back to that. Well, I don't think there are many of the top lifters, let's say in North America who are really doing that. I would say that that's a pretty, uh, a a pretty solid statement, you know, the top female snatch lifters. And I, and I say that because that's sort of right now, kind of the big lift for women. Um, You know, we know that there's a, big push for things like double you know like women's long cycle um versus now moving away and to some extent the one-arm stuff there's a big push for that from a hype standpoint i i personally think um and i i think it's great moving to traditional long cycle for uh women lifters um but you know when we look at it again from that competition standpoint Where are we at here? So, yeah, Um, if you want to be, I personally have, even though I've won first place and stuff like that, I typically rank myself against everybody I compete against. So, you know, when Marty Farrell beats me in a competition, I didn't win first place, no matter what my award says. You know, when John Lesko beats me at a competition, I didn't win first place no matter what my medal says. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, you're um, speaking in
2: terms of though you're in different weight categories. Yeah, like I compete against, I want to have, you know, I want the North American record for biathlon. I don't care. I don't care if it's if that's beating John Lesko, if that's beating Marty Farrell, if that's beating Christopher Donlin. I want the North American record. You know, I want to be the top long cycle lifter in North America. I don't care if that's, I don't care what weight class other guys are in. I want to beat everybody else. You know what I mean? And and that's that's where I want to be at. Um, I don't I don't look at just what does my trophy say, what does my medal say, because unless I'm going to spend and I and I do, you know, but you know, unless we're going to denote, you know, on those medals only lifter in category, you know, then. You know, you have to find that, you have to find something beyond just simply first place.